0: city it's your man big pat the voice of your charlotte hornets and you're listening to the all hornets podcast network presented by sports illustrated
2: You are listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network, one podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every single angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, find us on YouTube. The All Hornets Podcast is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. On today's show, we're joined with Mike Scotto of Hoops Hype, uh, who is joining me and Chase to talk all things trade deadline. We are under a month away now from the trade deadline. And uh, no better time to talk with one of the best in the business, in Mike Scottish. And Mike, thank you for joining us.
1: My pleasure, fellas. Thank you both for having me. Hope you're both doing well with the start of 2024 upon us.
2: We are doing well, and uh, you know, can't like we are thankful for the trade deadline approaching because uh, covering the Charlotte Hornets, as you can imagine, Mike, has been a tough sled for this last. Well, we could say <laughs> last few months. Really, we could stretch that timeline to any amount of anything up to 10, 15 years. But uh yeah, interested to get into some discussions today on on a wide array of topics. Um so so Chase, I'll pass it over to you.
0: Yeah. Thank you again, Mike, for joining us. Both of us were really looking forward to this interview today. I think our listeners are gonna get a lot of valuable insight from you from it too. So thanks again for coming on. But I wanted to start with a little bit of your personal background and how you got into NBA journalism and as a whole. Because I find that people that are in this industry always get into it in like a different way. Some people grow up knowing they want to be a sports writer or work for a team. Some people are like former players and coaches that break into it after they get out of the game that way. How did you get into NBA journalism? I guess, when did you know that this was the type of career path that you were going to pursue?
1: Well, you know, I always tell everybody I should have played in the NBA first. I think that, you know, that was my mistake. That's that's what happened. Um, I grew up wanting to play in the NBA, obviously, but uh, the percentage of five foot ten, uh Italian-American point guards in the NBA isn't high. You don't re- usually see a lot of – you don't hear a lot of shoot the three Nunzio or give it to Carmine for the three. It's not really – it doesn't usually come up –
0: Ryan is holding the flag for you guys. He's, <laughs> he's carrying it.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, you know, Danilo Gallinari still around. We we try to claim Paolo Bancaro um for the olympics and you know down the line and the world cup but that didn't happen but um you know it's all good for me i started out uh you know i went to hofstra which is hofstra university on long island and you know i just i studied journalism and speech communications i graduated with a dual degree um people always ask me why did you do that i said well if, if anything i could go into public relations if i ever wanted to or something else um but I always wanted to do if I wasn't going to be an NBA player, I wanted to do interviews with people, either like sit down interviews on TV or be a reporter. Um, And I was blessed to be able to do that. Like after college, I started a real GM for a little bit. I did some stuff with SMY.TV when they were starting to cover the Nets when they went to Brooklyn for a little. Then I went to Chevron and Hoops. Chris Sheridan for a couple of years while that was there. Um, then I went to Basketball Insiders and like I incrementally made my way up. And then I had gone I freelance a little bit for the Associated Press too. And then I would say it was about, I think it took like seven years while having a day job and multitasking and doing writing as well at night and going to games after work. Uh, By year seven, I think it was that I I joined The Athletic and I split between the Nets and covering the NBA nationally. And then ironically, in the pandemic of 2020, I was able to join Hoops Hype and it was a great fit. Uh, You know, for me, having the podcast, having the ability to kind of be the guy there, it's helped me grow. And it's a pretty well-respected site. A lot of people use it for news and um, it's helped grow, you know, my own brand. And it, I, I would just say that, like, incrementally. Um, but I would say I, I just remember, like, being at... I used to work, like, at NBC as a video editor during the day. And I'd be, like, trying to, you know, text people and stuff and get work done that way while I was working. Um, I don't know if NBC enjoyed that as much, but... know I came with the territory um welcome to
2: my world Mike just don't tell my work hopefully no one's lifting from my uh my day job here
1: yeah and so like that that was the biggest thing for me um but it's a lot different now like I talk to a lot of younger writers now and the access rules are different there's a tier system now one and two for credentialed media um and and thankfully you know I've been able to obviously do this now this is my I want to say 13th year and you know I've been able to have like tier one access, but for some people that are younger and starting out, it's a totally different ball game. You have to try to find a different way to get in. Um, and as a member of the Pro Basketball Writers Association, I've definitely had these conversations with um, some of the board members and you know one day if I end up joining the board at some point, I definitely want to, Try to help more like younger writers come in because I think they need mentorship and I think guidance and opportunities because now it's harder to, to get that locker room access than it was uh, before.
2: Yeah, that, that's that's a re- I'm really happy you told that story because that is that was a you know a long grind, right? You you went through a lot of different outlets there. Um, you know, it wasn't it doesn't sound like it was straightforward by any means. you I no, feel like you're the issue. You're the Ish Smith of journalism. Like how many, how many different well, outlets do you play for? <laughs> well,
1: thankfully, that's the thing. Thankfully, like with Hoopside, I found a nice home and i been yeah. able to work out like good contract talks with them. And, but, but, but to Chase's point, you know, nobody's path is certainly, uh, yeah. certainly similar. Um, and yeah, hopefully, uh, continue to continue to do it going forward. And also it's like right place, right time relationships. Like I remember when I was a real GM, I saw Woj and, you know, we talked and we've become friends since. And he always told me it was about relationships in the business. And it took me years down the line, but I understood what he meant by that now. Um, Because as I develop more relationships over time and you learn who you can trust and who you maybe have to double check more and things like that. The Intel game is a little bit. Easier to sift through um, because there's a lot of times a lot of people will tell you stuff, but it's not about getting stuff. It's about doing the legwork and digging through to see what's real and what's not. That's when it gets you know yeah. the nitty gritty.
2: And and the unfortunate thing is a lot of people who consume this media probably a lot of them don't really mind what is true and what is not, and that's where you get these you know strange accounts popping up reporting things that aren't you know factually incorrect. So that's why I think. When it comes to up ahead of the trade da- deadline, if you aren't already, make sure you follow Mike, because Mike is one of the people out there alongside you know, others who will report the right things and will only do it if it's corroborated, and it will definitely be real. So just saying for people, make sure that they're following Mike. Um, the reason we want to have you on today, Mike, was to preview a little bit of the Charlotte Hornets trade deadline. But I guess before we even get into that, you've already reported on this a little bit uh, mm-hmm. at Hoops Hype, is the new ownership and... And just, I guess, what, what are your thoughts on how the Charlotte Hornets' new ownership will potentially affect Charlotte's approach at the trade deadline?
1: Well, I think, I, I don't know if I, how much it's going to affect the deadline. This, this is what I would say, guys. Coming into the year, my own observation and from within the organization, they thought they had one of the most talented rashes they've had in a while. On paper, I would agree with that.
2: We said the same thing in preseason as well. Yeah, I, yeah, we agree.
1: However, it is not translated to wins, which is always the bottom line. And so with new ownership coming in, I do expect there to be changes uh, within the front office and potentially uh, if you're going to change the front office, certainly that would include coaching as well after the season. As far as the timing on that, I don't necessarily think you need to make a move before the deadline. If you're not going to make any significant changes to the roster, um, you know, we'll get into the roster and who's got value and and, and whatnot. But um, I, the bigger thing I think people are curious of around the league from other executives and coaches I talk to is, will there be more of an appetite for spending in Charlotte now that they've changed ownership um, at this point officially? And, Like I said, looking at the the record for the team, the Mitch Kupchak era um, has not resulted in any playoff wins. There have been play-in trips, but not any advancement after that. So um, many around the league are expecting uh, a little bit of a reshuffling of of the deck there when it comes to the front office and then likely the coaching staff after that.
0: There have been – I guess murmurs of this, I wouldn't even necessarily say it would be rumors, but some murmurs that there might be front office changes like ahead of the trade deadline or before the end of the season, from what you just said, it sounds like that seems unlikely.
1: There, there were definitely, uh, you call them murmurs. You can call them murmurs, <laughs> yeah. rumblings, speculation, whatever you have. But some people wondered if it would be before the deadline. Um, yeah. But as of now, when you're a month away, It would logically seem like that's going to be after the trade deadline with not necessarily a lot of moves for the hornets unless they do something that's on the minor scale that's that's small but a blockbuster hornets trade i don't know if i'm necessarily uh looking at that i would be a little surprised if it happened because obviously if that's going to happen you need the blessing of ownership
2: yeah and and that's why i think i always thought if we saw front office turnover before the trade deadline, that would suggest that they might be more active. But the fact that that hasn't happened, you know, you, like the new ownership will not want a front office probably halfway out the door to be making, you know, trading future draft picks, making major roster decisions. Um, so it and trying to re- get recruit someone in now in the next, well, three and a half weeks here from when we're recording, that's just going to be near impossible. If you want to do a proper recruitment process. And so. Will.
1: And, and to your point, I, I think that's what it is. It's about having a proper recruitment process. Now, certainly because of the new ownership's ties to the previous Atlanta Hawks you know, regime, two guys that I've touched on that have come up, Travis Schlenk and Jeff Peterson, Travis with the Wizards now, Jeff with the Nets as an assistant GM now. Um, but make no mistake, if the Hornets change – make a change in the front office as is expected after the deadline, this will be a full search. It's not just going to be, uh, an Atlanta Hawks reunion necessarily because of the the previous ties that the new ownership group has to that regime. Um, but those are the names that have been most commonly linked. Certainly if there is a move, there's going to be a bunch of names that get thrown out there. Some are going to be more real than others. Um, but you know it is one th- there's very few jobs. there's only 30 jobs of that variety. so everybody uh, tries to get one foot ahead of the other to uh, to get one.
2: I think that will be refreshing news to a lot of Hornets fans because the previous recruitment strategy, the shortlist was probably you know who has ties to Michael Jordan, you know, either through the business world or through his you know family connections. So a a full business search looking for the best candidate is, I think would definitely be good progress and, and a positive step. Um, it, so in terms of those priorities, it sounds there, like you say, major major moves unlikely ahead of the trade deadline. But I, I'd also, be, the how it's currently lining up seems to suggest more that the team would probably be more likely go down the seller route, you know, for those guys who may be expiring in the summer, um, where like, you know, if you don't move them now, you're going to end up just letting them walk and you get nothing back from them. Do you think that's kind of matches up with what you've heard? More likely to be down that seller territory. Also, considering how the season has gone with the record at this stage, as well.
1: I mean, they certainly wanted to be a playing team, and and that has not materialized. Um, so for them, to me, it's like I think one of the guys you got to look at is Gordon Hayward. Whether you know he's potentially tried to be included in trade talks or if he ends up agreeing to a buyout of some kind, you got to get more minutes for Brandon Miller, in my opinion. To me, when I look at the core of the Hornets, you know Lamelo Ball when he's healthy, Brandon Miller on the wing, Mark Williams as the center, and and that's kind of your core. Um, at the four, you know you got to juggle between P.J. Washington and, and Miles Bridges. And what's interesting is. I do think P.J. Washington is going to draw interest from teams. He's on a relatively affordable contract, and when you look ahead to the years that he signed, it's a little more than uh, the full non-taxpayer mid-level. So it's an affordable, tradable contract, and he's a good player that can fill different positions and provides versatility. There's always been teams that have called on him in the past. I would expect so, again, um, that he would draw interest. Terry Rozier has always been a guy that's come up in trade rumors as well. Um, I think if you're the Hornets and you do want to go more towards a youth movement, then maybe you look to see what you can get for him and gauge the market on him. Wouldn't be the first time that's been done. Uh, But to me, you're doing this all with LaMelo Ball, Brandon Miller, and Mark Williams in mind as the true foundation of your core.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something that James and I have actually spoken about on our last couple of podcasts is that whatever the approach is going into this deadline, like those three are the ones that fans and couldn't be almost certain are going to be there, you know, February 9th, that next morning after the deadline goes past. But there are still, like, I mean, the Hornets are in a weird spot to me where they're obviously not a good team. They don't have much hope of getting into the plan, but they still have like a handful of players that, if traded, would theoretically be helpful for. A competitive team that is trying to make that playoff push yeah. if you were to rank this group of players which is miles bridges gordon hayward pj washington and Terry Rozier, from least likely to most likely to be traded how would you rank those four
1: i'll start with a caveat gordon hayward i think a lot of teams are looking at if he becomes a buyout guy really? uh, mm. if they're trying to trade him It's a little tougher to match the salary and you'd have to be taken on a contract probably um, that's got more years down the line than this year. It depends on the player. But I do know that there's an appetite around the league and people are going to be monitoring if Gordon Hayward becomes a buyout candidate. Um, Time will tell if that happens, but that's certainly in the back of of minds of playoff contending teams.
2: Would you, do you think that feels more likely now than a trade just because of the size and the number of that Hayward contract? obviously it's over 30 million and, and like you said, the hornets have been reluctant to take on long-term salary, especially if they've got new front office coming in this summer you know do you really want to be taking on I don't know a, a Jordan Poole or you know an Andrew Wiggins which has got you know huge money for the next two or three years? I would That's be
1: surprised like- if they went that route with Hayward I, I I would be logically surprised if they did and took on more money. Um, looking ahead, given where the franchise is. So I would agree with your assessment there. I think then after that, some of the guys you mentioned, I don't really know how much of a market Miles Bridges would have as a trade candidate given his contract situation now. And if you acquire him now, you'd almost be – it'd be almost tougher to keep him. Given the restrictions he has, I believe, on his, uh, his contract, as a guy that took a qualifying yeah. offer. So, mm-hmm. to me, the teams that would want him potentially, you just, if you want to, go sign him in free agency yeah. and don't give up an asset. Um, you don't
2: retain his bird rights if you trade, if yeah. a team are traded for him, they don't get his bird rights, which makes re signing him that much harder, right? And obviously, he's looking
1: for more than that. That's why he did the qualifying offer and was looking to hit unrestricted free agency sooner than later um some of the other guys you mentioned again ultimately i don't really think they make moves but i think pj washington is going to draw a lot of interest i think i would then look at maybe terry Rozier. not saying that he's going to get moved but teams will call and do due diligence and then you mentioned another player chase who's the other player i'm
0: missing it was just those four we've already got the okay. well i mean other than hayward i suppose but the buyout at least seems like a likely route for him whereas the other guys is nearly impossible to to buy them out at this rate it,
2: it's interesting on the on the bridges topic mike i mean there's been some reporting around what i think jake fisher reported executives around the league uh, are uh, I don't want to take in, incorrectly quote Jake, but there was some expectation that he would explore his options in free agency. Does that kind of match up with what you've heard? Because obviously the Charlotte Hornets fans have been waiting for Miles Bridges. Well, he was suspended for a season, had a suspension at the start of this year. Obviously then did, took the one-year qualifying offer. And then if he were to leave for nothing in free agency, I think a lot of people would have quite a sense of bitterness about, you know, waiting for someone who then essentially just leaves. Is that Does that match with kind of what you've heard Around the expectations around the league,
1: I certainly don't think you take the qualifying offer to get to unrestricted free agency unless you you, you want to exp- you absolutely want to explore your options. Um, you know, before the before the incident where Miles was suspended, um, I would say that they were still far apart on talks as far as the value. So that alone, outside of obviously what transpired since, uh, was was part of the reasoning that he wanted to get to free agency sooner. And it's hard to get a deal in restricted free agency. Very few have even gotten an offer sheet. Um, you know, uh, unless you're DeAndre Ayton. Somehow, you know, some sometimes it happens, but it's very rare. Most times you're either doing a deal with the incumbent team or you're doing a sign and trade. So for Bridges to become unrestricted and go into free agency where he's still putting up numbers, the question becomes who has an appetite for him coming off the legal situation that he has? That's the big question. And that's one that's unanswered at this point and won't be known until down the line. Uh, you know, for Charlotte. Yeah. They clearly didn't have an issue bringing him back. I think the money issue is more where it would be for them. Whereas other teams that have cap space, I think it's the opposite end of the coin where it's are you comfortable with his legal situation and the public relations um, will go with coverage that comes with that if after signing a guy. Um well yeah. with the the legal situation that he has.
2: Yeah. Well, I think the only thing is in the new CBA, I believe the Charlotte Hornets will have the option to uh discuss or negotiate on a deal before free agency starts. That's right, isn't it? That's a change in the new CBA. So once the season finishes, they could negotiate with bridges ahead before other teams. Is that right? Have I got that right?
1: I got to be honest with you. I've always been under the impression that people have negotiations before they're supposed to, but you know, <laughs> that's just me. I follow, I follow. You can't always, you can't always track uh tampering. There's there's other ways people have, I'm sure gotten around it in the past, but um, honestly, that's a, that's a Bobby Marks, Yossi Goslin, capologist question more than me. I, you know, I don't, I don't no, remember off the top of my head, it. but I, but they've they've had him for so many years now. It's you can easily have that conversation behind the scenes. Yeah, it's, it's okay. very doable.
2: And uh, you, you mentioned about Rosier, if they wanted to move him for the the youth movement, it's interesting because I I feel like the Charlotte Hornets fan base and the organization to go backwards through another youth movement now. It feels like we've not even got out the last youth movement. Um, do you think the, again, do you think the new ownership have, do you think they have a sense of direction of where they want to go yet? Or do you think, again, it'll be up to whatever the new front office thinks is best that they'll, they'll just back them?
1: I don't think you buy a team to go into a rebuild. You want to get better. Mm-hmm. Now the caveat with Terry Rozier is the Hornets record is what it is with them. They haven't won with them. So what's the difference if he's on the roster or not? It's it's not a, a needle moving player respectfully it's more about the core the young guys lamello brandon miller mark williams that's your future what are you building around those guys and how are you maximizing them
2: mm-hmm.
1: in, at least in my opinion and then you know gordon hayward i you know i i, I had spoken to gordon hayward when he was in town yep. check that out on HoopSype, and mm-hmm. you know He talked about wanting to win That hasn't happened since he's been there. And he hasn't always been healthy either, which he acknowledged. Uh, But if that's what he wants, I I would logically surmise that there are other options too. So then I don't necessarily think he's back. And so again, it comes back to you are trying to win, they are going to try to improve and get better. But you're doing it around the core of young players. That you have under control. And I would also include PJ Washington in that. And and the last thing I'd say on PJ is one of the reasons they signed him to that deal was to have protection in case Miles Bridges left.
2: Mm. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. And Mike, I know you're running out of time with us here. I guess just one last question to leave you with Um, Are there any players kind of that you've uh, that are on the trade block elsewhere that you think? maybe make sense for the Hornets to target. Again, I'm, I'm aware these wouldn't be big, you know, Zach Levine, Devontae Murray type moves. But, you know, this team we talked about in the podcast needs toughness. It needs, you know, some leadership, some culture. And if the Hornets can make a small move here or there to try and address some of that, it also needs some outside shooting. Like that's something that I don't think they should wait. They should, if, if that opportunity presents itself, they should look at. Is there anyone that you think stands out as a, as a clear guy who would make some sense to, to pursue?
1: I feel like usually in that sense, a team like the Hornets would look at a younger guy maybe that hasn't had a good situation on another team coming out of the draft that they believe has potential. But I don't know. I don't think young guys like that fit them. Like Davion Mitchell yeah. I don't think would fit them. I don't think Patrick Williams would fit them right now. And he, obviously Chicago will want a lot for him anyway. I'm um, going around the league. I almost wonder if they need, like, I'm not saying in the trade market, but down the line, veteran role players that yeah. can yeah. help with this this team. And, and
2: we grow. talked about guys like Najee Marshall, Royce O'Neal, you know, who's kind of like tough, like gritty yeah. guys, because that's just something that this – Cody Martin is the only person who probably has that in his DNA, and he's just not been on the court enough. Yeah, um,
1: Smith was the only other guy I, uh, I thought of.
2: Yeah, yeah. OK, uh, I, Chase,
1: mean, I, I guess like to formally answer the question, I don't really think you can get anybody till you got you have your direction set for the future. And I do think that's going to come with uh, a change in the front office eventually. And, you know, you would likely say a coaching staff change after that as well. Um, you know, again, this Hornets team is well out of the playing picture right now as we're recording this why would you bring all that back? You know, for the new ownership, yeah. they're going to want to win.
2: No, absolutely. And I think... Go on chase.
0: And that, that's exactly what puts them in such a interesting position to me too, is because it's like, they obviously need to shuffle these deck chairs around pretty significantly, but you're not going to like actually do that until you know how you want that to happen. And that they're not going to know how until this current regime is replaced in some way with, either a new GM or new staff or whatever that may be. So, I mean, but you could also argue you're never going to be able to get as much for Terry Rozier, PJ Washington, maybe like Nick Richards or something as you're all going to get right now. So they've just, they've got a very interesting predicament ahead of them here in the next month. And I mean, I don't, I'm probably in the same boat as you where now. I don't really expect them to do a whole lot either, but they obviously have the opportunity to do so. so. Yeah, for sure.
2: Well, Mike, thanks a lot for giving up your time coming on. Uh, Best of luck for the rest of the season. Keep up the work you're doing at Hoops Hype. Um, And, yeah, we will uh, touch. hopefully enjoy the trade deadline. I know it will be a a busy time for you.
1: You got it, fellas. It's it's busy, but it's fun. It's all right now. But when you get to, like, I'd say two weeks before the trade deadline, You sleep as much as about as much as a newborn parent, so it's uh, it gets a little tough. And then I like to I like to catch up on some sleep, and then before you know it, it's March Madness. So uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. But my pleasure joining you guys. Thanks for having me. You're welcome.
2: Thanks, Mike. Um, Appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, Mike.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
2: All right, we have just got done recording with Mike Scotto. Uh, Chase is still here. We're just going to be a little bit of a debrief after our chat with Mike and Chase. I'm going to start with with two things. Right, that that interview with Mike made me feel two things. One, depressed as hell, <laughs> um, because I don't think anything Mike will have said there was will be popular with the Hornets fan base. Uh, it is more sitting on the hands um and waiting for things to change and to happen which it feels like this organization is waiting waiting for pretty much since miles bridges allegations came up whatever it was 18 months ago 20 months ago at this point now the second part i want to say is i respect michael a lot for coming on here and not selling false hope and coming on here and selling something which he easily could have right he knew who's was coming on a charlotte hornet's podcast He could have said, oh, yeah, this person is likely to be traded. This team's interested in the next person, which he knows would be great news to our listeners, like interesting news, be interesting for us. But Mike's going to give you the truth, right? And the cold, hard truth is, while this front office is there, they're going to be making any major moves. And I guess this is a good expectation management podcast ahead of the next three weeks that everyone can keep this in mind. So and those are my uh, two, two gut feelings coming out of that interview.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm completely with you. And I went into that kind of being like, I hope Mike is about to come in and tell us that, you know, teams XYZ are dying to trade for Terry Rozier or PJ Washington and that the Hornets are just going to have to wait and see who gives them the best offer. And then there you go. Uh, but it's kind of the exact opposite. Uh, and it's not even through the fault of, of other teams not wanting him it's yep. just the fact that the hornets seem unlikely to do anything of real significance for i mean what i think the last time they made a big trade at the deadline was in like 20 was 2016 when they traded their first round pick for uh, marco bellinelli like that is like Always almost a decade well. ago yeah right and that didn't <laughs> even work out like and th- that is almost a decade ago at this point it's 2024 now and it has been Quite literally, the entire Mitch Kupchak regime, regime that they have not made a big move for a you know marquee well, rotation player. Not, at the not a big line, move. Really.
2: But, you know they sell they sold obviously Plumlee, McDonald's last year. Yeah, and the year before was it Harold? I, I mean, in terms Harrell. of re-
0: in getting a return, I, I guess Montrose Harold might count, but in terms of who you get in return, like they all they've really done is kind of just sell off. Yes, minor assets that were. Uh, like slated to walk out the door anyway, like Plumlee on an expiring McDaniels a in a contract year as well. But it seems like that at best is what we're going to get again, maybe with a Gordon Hayward trade or buyout, shipping off some lower end rotation player for a second round pick or whatnot. Yeah. But,
2: but I mean, and, let's start with yeah. on the Hayward thing. Um, I have to say I was a little surprised that Mike almost made it sound more likely that it would be a buyout than a trade. Um, because yeah. I thought that, you know there would be moves out there, such as you know the Miami Heat trading Kyle Lowry for Gordon Hayward and and a second round pick, or like the Philadelphia seventy sixes are the team that seem to make the most sense if they strike out another deals. They don't want to add any long term salary in the summer, and you know there's there's packages of expirings with Covington and Morris that make sense with second round picks. Um, I, I don't, I I agree, I agree with Mike said. I don't think they. Uh, will likely want to take on long-term salary, even though I, I do think I have to say the reclamation project type player is the guy who I think Charlotte should go after the the Wiggins type. You know, yeah. um, I'm I'm not saying it should be Andrew Wiggins by the way, because I think there's some serious off-court stuff going on with Andrew Wiggins, which which kind of scares me a little bit. Um, but like the Charlotte Hornets, just are not in a position to buy on anyone who has like a particularly high stock right now. What they could do is try and make a move for someone where their stock is at an all-time low and you hope there was just some regression to the mean. And Gordon Hayward could be a vehicle to that. But for Gordon Hayward to be bought out, then go sign on a playoff team and, you know, to have success in the postseason, that might honestly, like, just... That might just finish off this Hornets fan base if that happens.
0: Yeah, that would be... I mean, when they bought out, you know, MKG, Marvin Williams, like at the deadline, what seems like 10 years ago, but I think was 2019 now. That was obviously like a little bit depressing that they couldn't get any return for vets that both immediately signed with teams coming off of that. Marvin signed with the Bucs and MKG signed with Dallas. This would be so much worse because Gordon Hayward, if bought out and then, you know, he becomes healthy and plays the rest of the season after that. Would be like a top six or seven rotation player for a competitive team. That is like a seriously valuable piece, especially for a competitive team on a playoff run, even as a rental on a big contract. Like it would be so, so, so disheartening for Hornets fans to see that go away and then just pop up in Philly or Golden State or Boston on a minimum contract for the rest of the year and become a similar player to what he'd been showing in Charlotte, even yeah. if not better, like in a lower role and better situation on a better team.
2: And the Hornets would be crucified by everybody. Yep. Or, you know, you, don't trade so. the guy, you then buy him out. Yep. Yeah. Rightfully. But that's the thing that you have. It takes two to trade and who has yes. expiring contracts that they can send back for Gordon Haywood. The-, the list just isn't that long in the league. Like the guys that teams are willing to give up to get. So, and whatever you idea of like the player that Gordon Hayward is in your head. You basically need to take 33% off that value for the injury risk that any team takes on when trading for him. Um, you know, no team will be going, Oh, well, this is what we get with Gordon Hayward. It'll be, well, that's what we get. If Gordon Hayward is healthy, which the track record suggests he is a 50, 50 chance if he's going to be healthy in the postseason. season. Um, so that, you know, that's another thing to, that will be important to know. But one thing I did think was interesting was Mike seem to think PJ Washington was a guy who maybe had maybe more trade interest among other teams in the past and maybe this this offseason, maybe more so, even though he's maybe having a down year from his shooting percentages that we talked about last podcast? It sounds like PJ was the next guy he felt was maybe most likely to be involved in something,
0: yeah. And I think that that. I didn't necessarily expect it, but it does track. Just given his team-friendly contract, now he Which has is been declining. A, by
2: the way, it is a declining right. contract. PJ exactly. That, that was 16, a very yeah, yeah very well negotiated.
0: Sorry, that was a very well negotiated contract by the Hornets. Probably the only good front office move that they've made in the past like year or so that has allowed them to now keep PJ as one of these like attractive assets going down the line. What did what did you say his uh, declining contract value was?
2: Yeah, so 16.8 this year, 15.5 next year, and 14 the year after. So, honestly, by the time he gets to year two, three of that contract, the new TV money will be in. He will probably be earning less than the mid level exception, which is, which will be, mm-hmm. I think, good, good value. I'm not saying it's great because, like, we've seen this year, he is a, you know, when he's on, he's on, when he's not, he's not, like, rotational four, like, slash, some small ball five. Um, But I, I, I continue to think that he is a guy that, if you can get him in a situation where he has good, a good shot diet, and he's not being asked to do too much, that he'll be able to produce. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't really have any more thoughts. Uh, it, look, there's not going to be a lot of headlines from that. I can't, I can't lie here. I can't try and dress this up. It's, it sounds like the fact there has been no front office change means now that this deadline is going to be fairly passive. And maybe things change uh, between now and February, but Mike is probably as, you know, connected as anyone who's going to speak publicly on a podcast. And he was very clear and not wanting to send any kind of false message there.
0: Yeah. And especially just with how little time there is between the deadline, like that change in the front office, it would have to be happening like literally right now. If we were to anticipate anything going forward, Mike did not seem like he anticipated that and yep. as a result i mean this is this seems to be what we're going to get is kind of another year of wait and see and i mean i imagine if the hornets are blown away by some offer for anybody that like we discussed in the in the interview is not lamello brandon miller or mark williams they'll surely consider it but the, i don't think they're going to be beaten down doors to try and trade terry Rozier, pj washington miles bridges gordon hayward anybody that would have perceived value right now, just due to the situation that they're in as a organization yet again.
2: unfortunately. I just wonder how much longer this fan base can take the, we're in evaluation wait and see mode. Like let's say the new front office comes in and they go, well, you know, we've got to evaluate everything. It's like, well, the Hornets have been evaluating here for the last two or three seasons. People's, you know, people's uh, barrier to like, is, is being worn down. Like ultra thin, ultra thin, and like at least with activity breeds hope. Now it, that can compound down the line to not be positive. We know that, but just I, I'm just a little bit concerned that this new front office, when they do come in, are going to take a again an evaluate approach. And I just think people's fan base the, the fan base is just not ready for that now. Like that might be the right thing to do, but I just. <laughs> but I just think people will disagree just because of how the last two, three years ago.
0: And I, I wouldn't blame anyone whatsoever for that. I mean, I think you're right that that very well could be like the correct course of action, the most responsible thing to do for the new owners once they've really like settled in and gotten to make staff changes on their own. But like there are just like, and I hate to say this, like there are just more things to do in a big city like Charlotte than to go watch a team that, especially at home for whatever reason, just cannot win games consistently. Like, And you see it, again, I hate to say this, but you see it when you look around at the stands on the wide shots of the Spectrum Center during games or when they're dribbling the ball up the court and you see the baseline view and you see the lack of people behind the basket or in the balcony sections or anything like that. Like, People's patience is already wearing very, very thin with this. It's not like another, like this has to be the last year. Of this type of like just downtrodden outlook like just being like wait just wait we're gonna do make changes we're gonna move players we're gonna hire new people just wait we're gonna evaluate this has to be the last year of that they cannot do that again and expect people to to turn out yeah. for this team without them showing multiple years of like successful basketball to bring people back in
2: yeah and the 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 idea of hope is I know I still like the young, young core of this team has promised but just the idea of success still just feels so far away for this team. And some of the most dedicated season ticket holders who I've known, who've had their tickets, season tickets for years through the bad times, even some of them are now just coming to the end of their tether where they're thinking about giving them up. And, you know, these guys have survived some of the bleakest seasons, but people's tether is just, they've reached the end of it, right? They're worn down. And uh, I, I don't blame people. So, um, look, let's hope Let's hope Mike is wrong. I really want to say Mike is wrong. And I think he wants to be too. Um, let's hope the team recognize the situation. Let's hope that they try and get a, an influx of toughness and defense, um, or at least try and get some future assets for some of the pieces on this roster. Um, but we will have to see. Look, we're going to know for sure in the next three weeks if Mike was if Mike was right. So, um, yeah, big shout out for Mike for joining us. And, yeah, we will speak to you next week.
0: Yep. Thanks again to Mike. Always love talking to people that are as plugged in as him and can share all that knowledge. Thank you to everybody listening. We hope you enjoyed. See you next week.